Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 210 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Italian Grand Prix in Monza. It is, this is my favorite race. It's epic. The speeds, it's uncanny. I'm Robin Warner, and once again, I am joined by the magnificent Christopher Roche. Chris, how are you? <laughs> Thank you for the magnificent, Robin. Have you been drinking? You know, I will be quite soon. I think it's uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite the quite a long day. Uh, my uh, Harrison is not with me in the room, but he does have a cold, which he gave to me, which was very kind of him. Um, so it's been one of those kind of longer days, which I'm sure you can understand. Kids have a tendency to share everything with you, don't they? <laughs> That's right. But we're not here to talk about parenting. Um, oh, well, actually, in a way, because Force India will probably come up. But uh, the Italian Grand Prix happened, and uh, I'm going to jump right into qualifying. Uh, Lewis Hamilton is now officially the one and only uh, man with the most qualifying pole positions at 69. He's done it. He is the record holder all time. And what a way to do it. I mean, uh, it was horrible conditions. If anyone watched it at uh, Monza, truly dreadful. It, very long qualifying session. They delayed it uh, for a long, long time. I think it took about two and a half hours from start to finish, total qualifying. Um, and it was it was very wet. And we saw some really, really incredible driving, I think, by, by most of the, uh, the F1 crew um but uh, lewis certainly put it on pole and he did it by some margin didn't he over over 1.2 seconds quicker than some pretty proficient uh, wet weather drivers well and i think it was his teammate among them his teammate among them and of course his uh, world championship rival by over two and a half seconds so it was yes. uh, it was quite a schlacking and um yeah but there was some spectacular imagery i mean Max Verstappen, one of his laps, watching him wrestle the car and Parabolica was epic. I mean, I had a huge grin on my face because he was <laughs> he was so close to an accident all the way around that corner and and uh, held on to it and was quick. And there was some there was some fine fine performances. Obviously, the Red Bulls were were well up there, um, stymied of course by their grid penalties, but they were very very fast. And uh, then we had some really unlikely characters up there. I mean, none other. Than your favorite Canadian racing driver. No, no, no. <laughs> Not yeah. Villeneuve. It was Lance Stroll being super quick yeah. in the wet. By the, by the way, uh, I, I, I did, you know, recording, editing the show, and it was too late to do anything about it. Uh, I called him Jules Villeneuve. Uh, not Jacques Villeneuve, and that was my mistake. Of course, I was speaking of Jacques Villeneuve the last podcast, and uh, Jules Bianchi and Jacques Villeneuve have very, very little in common in terms of uh, racing and off-camera composure. And, of course, uh, Jules Bianchi is still greatly missed to the day. Um, but, yes, uh, Lance Stroll, I mean, you got to give the guy credit. He was outside pole. Now, he wasn't, he wasn't outside pole... Um, in terms of pure speed, uh, it was the grace of penalties and the way all those things worked out. You know, both the Red Bull drivers, um, I forget whom was ahead of whom, but it was uh, Max and uh, Max and uh, Daniel that were actual on pace, second and third quickest. But um, it ended up being uh, Lance Stroll and Esteban Ocon who were second and third on the grid because of the way penalties sorted out. Still, 
despite that, I mean, that is a strong performance from both those guys. And it wasn't a freaky lap from Stroll. I mean, he had been quick all the way through qualifying. Q1 and Q2, he was well up there. And then delivered in Q3. And he was significantly quicker than Massa, which hasn't been the case all season. And in those conditions, you know, relatively low downforce track. Um, you know, I don't think he's uh, raced too much at Monza, certainly not in an F1 car. So that was massively impressive performance. Uh, really, you know, one of those sort of things where that makes you sit up and, and reassess a driver. Um, and uh, yeah, Nocon also did a great job. But not only did he not hit anyone, he didn't hit his teammate, and he qualified well. So that was uh, tremendous. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm not. Is that the order that we put that in? Um, but uh, yeah, no. It was uh, it was good to see Ocon perform well, and uh, and it was nice that. Now, at least, we can say that um, uh, they have a race between them and the incident that happened in Spa. You know, that they, they survived a race, and uh, Sergio um, Sergio is not going to uh, be asked to pack his bags right away, at least. Uh, I have a feeling that it would be um, Sergio Perez and not Espan Ocon that would be asked to take a, take a seat uh that's my guess, unless it was painfully overtly Ocon. I think Sergio is on a on thinner ice than Esteban, in my personal opinion. But yeah, uh, uh, both of them qualified quite well, and uh, the Ferrari's pace was certainly behind what people's expectations were. Um, but you know, considering the conditions and considering the car. I wasn't, to be totally honest, all that surprised. And uh, it was uh, also not a surprise to me that it was, generally speaking, Mercedes that was towards the front. Although I have to say that I was impressed in terms of pure pace how quick the Red Bulls were. You know, the Renault engine is probably third strongest. And Generally speaking, you know, Adrian Newey is quite effective at making downforce, but that usually adds a touch more drag to the car. So I would think I would think that Mon, they would struggle at Monza, but maybe they have a specific Monza package that's also very effective. Yeah, so I'm no doubt Red Bulls were very competitive. They were competitive in the race, which we'll come on to in a minute, obviously. But uh, yeah, they were quick in quali. But you would expect Daniel and Max to be quick on any track in those sort of conditions because they're, they're obviously extremely talented. And they have uh, they have always a you know a good car that will always generate decent amounts of downforce. But Ferrari were a real enigma to me. So in Q1 and Q2, Ferrari weren't a million miles away. Um, you know, Vettel and, and Lewis were trading fast laps through I think much of Q2. And are you um, talking about P2? No, Quali 2. Oh, Vettler really? Was, okay. Vettler was pretty quick in Q2. You, you mentioned, I, I should just real, real one point of clarification. Uh, you know, I, I watched it time delayed and because, because as you said, I think it took over three hours. Yeah. Uh, I actually, I actually had to just look at the results. I only saw the first few minutes of qualifying where uh, Romain Grosjean off the car and then, you know, it was red flag for however long that was. Yeah. No, I mean, in so I watched the whole session um, delayed and it was, um, you know, Ferrari looked like they were going to be competitive in Q1 and Q2. And 
then it got, and in Q2, it was drying quite, uh, the circuit was getting actually reasonably dry. Uh, it was obviously an inter-tire selection. And it looked like Vettel was going to really, you know, have a battle with Lewis for, for pole position with the Red Bulls. Um, and then it got wetter again before the start of Q3. And Ferrari just disappeared. I mean, their pace just um, just evaporated and um, it became a, a battle between Lewis and, and the Red Bulls. And interestingly enough, you know, there was some speculation that maybe Mercedes had done some, you know, car adjustments for the wet weather and put some extra downforce on it and that Ferrari hadn't. And they'd, they'd uh, set it up for a dry race. Well, as we know, that that wasn't the case because Mercedes' pace in the race was scintillating and far, far superior to the Ferrari. So I have no idea if Ferrari just dropped the ball in, in Q3 or they're just really not that quick on, on in those weather conditions. But um, it's the first time we've seen a real lack of pace from Ferrari this season. And they were they were really uncompetitive in, in qualifying. Uh, I mean, you know, not just behind the, you know, the Red Bulls and the Mercedes, but they're allowing some Williams and, as we mentioned, uh, Force Indias ahead of them too. So really, really interesting. And the other thing that, that sort of left me at the end of qualifying was, well, what a great, you know, pole lap from Lewis and great on getting the record. But uh, I didn't really fancy the run down to the first quarter with Lance Stroll and Ocon next to him. And I was fully anticipating an almighty shunt at turn one, to be honest. And I thought, you're, you're jumping to the race start now. I am yeah? jumping to the race. But that was how I <laughs> concluded qualifying was like, I can't believe that Lewis is, uh, you know, he's great. He's, um, he's ahead of Vettel. But I can't believe he's got those two next to him on the grid. So, uh, but if you want to go further down the order, you're welcome to do so. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, because it's funny. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, oh, God, if if Stroll offs Hamilton somehow, I'm going to be so pissed. But, uh, and I was I was actually a little bit surprised. I, I will call it a, a, a tip of the hat to Michael Schumacher, uh, as Hamilton did a hearty Schumacher chop at the race start um, when, uh, <laughs> when Stroll was coming on. So, uh, but yeah, Stroll, uh, Lance Stroll, he, I, I was wondering if nerves were going to get to him and he was going to botch the launch. He didn't do that. He had a strong launch. He maintained his composure when uh, Hamilton uh, came over uh, his line fairly aggressively and he maintained composure when Esteban worked hard to uh, take the second place. And I was thinking to myself, my goodness, guys, he's 18 years old and he handled that well. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't mightily impressive the entire race necessarily, but overall you have to give him a real strong grade for his performance. And it was, I was, I think the word was relieved to see him get through turn one and uh, get see all the top cars get through turn one. Um, and yeah, because Ocon absolutely gave Stroll the perfect opportunity to have a shunt and uh, he didn't take it. So it was it was impressive in that way. And uh, I'm just going to skip ahead and real, you know, for Lance Stroll and Esteban Ocon, Ocon sixth, Lance Stroll seventh to finish. Great results for both of them, considering that it was a dry race. They held up and they did very well. So, seriously, my hats off to Lance Stroll. And all this does is just mount more and more evidence into how wrong Jacques Villeneuve is about just about everything. 
Um, I mean, I agree with you. So, I mean, Ocon was obviously helped by the fact that there were two Williams between him and Perez throughout the whole race, which uh, obviously prevented any sort of um, uh, inter-team clashes. But um, I agree, it was, a, it was a pretty clean first corner, certainly for the first uh, four or five cars. Um, Ocon managed to get the, the, the jump on Stroll, and Stroll, although he looked a little bit quicker through the race, was never able to mount... Uh, a serious challenge um, through the DRS zone into into turn one, um, and then you know the, both of them sort of slipped back into the clutches of Massa and Perez. And uh, I was quite amused at how robustly Stroll defended his position um, in the in the closing laps against Massa. He clearly wasn't going to yeah. give up uh, that position, and I think absolutely justifiably. So I mean, he'd uh, he'd driven a good race. Um, he was sort of hemmed in there and uh, thoroughly deserved that position. I think Massa was feeling a little bit of pressure from Perez, but they uh, they all managed to sort it out and finish cleanly, which was good. Yeah, very impressive uh, from from all of them, and certainly you know it makes you makes you wonder about those two and and their futures really. That maybe they are a little brighter than we uh, than maybe certainly I considered them to be as as racing talents because you know the wet weather was foul, and they were you know it was real top top quality driving, and uh, they stood out. So that was uh, that was. Incredible. Yeah, I'm not going to uh, put Lance Stroll in the must-have list, but it definitely, it definitely pulled him well ahead of the uh, Maldonado category of things. So uh, I think, I think you know, to say his future is bright might be a little early, a little optimistic, but to say he has a future, I'm, I'm very happy to believe that now. Um, I think another impressive performance uh, when you look at the race and the situation, and everything else is Valtteri Bottas. You know, he he was aggressive but clean to get into second place. Um, you know, despite his grid penalty being a little bit farther down, um, didn't he have a grid? Pe- now I got to be careful. I thought he had a grid penalty for a gearbox change. No, he didn't. No, he no, didn't. Bottas didn't. No, he was one of the few that did not have a penalty. He just didn't have a good qualifying. That's um, right. But he he was very uh, he was appropriately aggressive in the right places to get in the second place, but never did anything to really uh, hurt Hamilton's uh, need uh, to change his strategy to uh, have a good race to keep uh, Ferrari at bay. So for it to be a Mercedes one two in Italy, I think was just you can as a Mercedes as Mercedes fans you couldn't ask for much more at all. Yeah, I mean, Lewis obviously got, got the start he wanted, got into the lead and uh, opened up a pretty quick gap immediately. Um, and uh, Botas was impressively feisty. He got into second place and he was he was um, definitely quick. And I started to think to myself at that moment, so we're talking fourth or fifth lap in, you know, if Botas starts to, to close in on Hamilton, a Mercedes going to apply any team orders here? Um, as it turned out, you know, Lewis was, uh, I think, protecting his tyres in the early laps and uh, had more than enough pace um, to handle Botas. And they, they were about three, four seconds throughout the race. So they were clearly managing their pace um, throughout the race and, and just pulling away from the rest of the field. But, uh, but it did, it, it did uh, occur to me that that would be really frustrating if Botas would have more pace than Hamilton in the dry and would clear off and win. But uh, it, it turned out not to be the case. So... Yeah, they they were they were very quick, um, very very quick. They were over thirty five seconds faster. Hamilton finished over thirty five seconds 
faster than Vettel. Um, 36.317 seconds, I have it right in front of me. And over a minute on uh, Raikkonen, right? So, um, uh, Oh, just over, yeah, 60.082 seconds. Yeah, that's quite a margin um, and a little embarrassing at um, Ferrari's home circuit. So Vettel was complaining about some handling issues because he, I mean, he had a solid race, didn't he? I mean, he got up, they, they didn't mess around Ferrari. They got up into in, in, uh, Vettel, up into third pretty early on. He had a fairly quiet race, got a little bit threatened toward the end by Ricardo, who had a very impressive race from 16 on the grid, uh, who finished fourth, only um, about four seconds behind Vettel. Um, but they, um, you know, they... They seemed to manage his pace or any issues that he seemed to have in the car, but it was pretty poor. I mean, he was he was still claiming after qualifying that he had uh, he thought he had enough pace in the car to challenge for the win, um, and it wasn't even close. So really, quite a contrast from the previous Grand Prix in Belgium, where he really ran the Mercedes very close uh, the whole race. So um, interesting, really puzzling, actually that one. I, I really don't understand what happened to Ferrari over the weekend. Well, I, w- I want to jump back into uh, Monza results. I'm not done there, but because you bring that up, I think this is the perfect time to skip ahead to Singapore. Uh, Singapore is notorious to be a poor track for Mercedes, and you know I think it's expected that Ferrari will fare much better there. But given uh, given Ferrari's uh, inability to overtake Mercedes at Spa, and then you know even more contrastingly here in Monza. Do you think that Mercedes' chances at Singapore are better than we might be predicting? No, it's interesting. Mercedes have continually played down their chances in Singapore. They were highlighting that the need to to do well in Belgium and Monza to 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 uh, close the gap and even open up a lead in the championship, which they've managed to do with Hamilton now at the top of the table, but um, with a slender three point lead. But but I do think. Ferrari will be strong and I think Red Bull will be very, very strong. So the, the nightmare scenario would be Ferrari um, in a winning position and then the Mercedes actually being the third quickest car. That would that would not be great. But um, we shall see. They've had a lot of time to, to digest the problems in Hungary. It's, um, it is a very technical track, Singapore, um, and obviously it'll be very humid. So slightly different conditions from Hungary where... It's more of a dry heat and and relatively, you know, one of the slowest circuits of the year. So I'm hoping that Mercedes will be a little bit stronger there, but I really, it's hard to tell. Really, (laughs) after such a strange uh, couple of races, who knows what we're going to get in Singapore. I suspect uh, Mercedes will struggle a lot more than they did in Monza, though, that's for sure. Yeah, it's hard to think otherwise. It gets so so easy to just see a trend form and just assume that the trend will continue. Uh, but obviously these these circuits are quite different from each other in terms of character and just you know it's a tighter circuit you know the heat just as you mentioned but also one thing that I don't think it's talked about quite enough is there is just a shockingly huge amount of underlying electrical current <laughs> everywhere because there's a lot of um, underground railroads and lights and all these kinds of things and there's, this was discussed a few years ago that there's enough um, there's enough electricity near the track that that could be interrupting, uh, just throwing off some circuits on the track, and even even as simple as that causes um, you know that causes heat problems that you wouldn't see in other places. 
um, you know, with the electronics, with the wiring. So it's obviously I'm not an electrical engineer. I can't speak on this too intelligently, but you know, it, it's something that I think is there. And I wonder if that is part of Mercedes sensitivity is they're not quite as robust. Like maybe they use a thinner rubber coating on their <laughs> wire. Their conduit isn't as good. I don't know. But, um, the point I'm getting at is simply that Singapore is a massively different circuit than your spa Monza Silverstone type of tracks where they tend to excel. Yeah. I mean, I thought that the historical issues of Mercedes and Singapore were, were literally just getting the tires in the right operating window. That that's, that's what I thought that the underlying issues always been for the last couple of seasons. Um, and you know, they, they still have an issue this season, right? It's certain tracks, they, they seem to struggle uh, to really maximize the tire and the grip available. Um, so, you know, I, I hope that Lewis has spent some time in the simulator and been working on it and, and really, you know, if nothing else, been trying to understand why Botas is able to outperform him on these types of tracks. So if, you know, that's, that's the one thing I'd like is at least he's quicker than Botas this, in Singapore. Uh, even if he can't quite match the Ferrari Red Bull pace. But we shall see. Um, uh, we'll, um, I'm sure it'll be an interesting race. And, you know, the cars always look spectacular under the lights. And um, But I do hope it'd be great to see Max. And, and I'd be perfectly happy if Max and Daniel fought it out for the win. And Vettel, Vettel and Lewis fought it out for the third place on the podium. That, that would be quite, uh, that'd be quite nice, I think. Yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't. Uh, uh, I certainly wouldn't have trouble with that. Now, um, we do get a week off, and then we go to Singapore. Um, and I'm wondering if by the time we get to Singapore, there's going to be news from McLaren. Uh, their finish in Italy was well. Let's let's scroll all the way down to the bottom of the results here. <laughs> yeah, you know, Stoffel. <laughs> Salvo Van Dorn, non-completion. You know, he only got 33 laps in. Fernando Alonso, they asked him to retire with a couple laps to go. He finished 17th. So it was effectively 17th and 19th. And I think McLaren's pretty well had it. But I have to, before I get your response to this, I have to add that their qualifying performance seemed pretty reasonable. And this is Monza we're talking about. So... I felt like there were hints of progress, so I'm what having they, I'm struggling on where I, to take this. Yeah, they weren't they weren't that high up the grid, but where were they? Not around the top ten. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think Van Dorn was tenth and Alonso fourteenth. But uh, you know what? I'm going to pull it up so I can tell you for sure. Because I wasn't. I mean, they didn't they didn't cover the McLarens too much during quali, and um, you know I'm used to Alonso. Uh, being exceptional in that in that type of weather condition, and I, you know, wasn't uh, blown away by his performance by any stretch of the imagination. Stoffel Van Doren qualified tenth, and Fernando Fernando Alonso thirteenth. Those were the qualifying results, and then they started on the grid. They started. Um, where are you guys? Oh, right, that's right. On the grid, they started eighteenth and nineteenth because of all the uh, massive uh, engine change penalties they took, that kind of thing. But they qualified 10th and 13th. And again, this is Monza. This is a, a couple of straightaways with a couple of chicanes. That's the track. Yeah, but, yeah, but it was nullified by the weather conditions, wasn't it? So if that had been a drive, 
performance, I would agree with you that that wasn't bad. But in the wet, it was so-so, really. Um, so, yeah, not massively impressed by that. But, look, I, I mean, the, the, the latest rumours I'm hearing are that McLaren will ditch Honda, they will go with Renault, um, and that Red Bull will be taking the Honda engine. That's that's what I'm hearing, and it's all but done. So I, I suspect well, it'll be next. The rumors I heard are similar, but that it would be Toro Rosso that takes the Honda engine, and oh, that's that Red, right. Sorry. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Red Bull would follow suit, perhaps in a year or two after the engines got <laughs> been sorted yeah, yeah. out. You're right. The STR would take the the Honda. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah. So I mean that's um, I mean that seems like a win win, right? I mean Honda will pay for STR's uh, cost to go racing, presumably. Um, they won't. Uh, they won't be in the limelight so much. They'll, they won't have such troublesome drivers who complain about the lack of performance. They could go away and and try and improve their engine out of the limelight a little bit. And um, I think you know, given that we talked about Hulkenberg's performance in the Renault, so the, and Red Bull were, were pretty impressive on a dry monster track. You know, the Renault engine is not a million miles away. So if the Honda chassis is as, uh, if the McLaren chassis is as good as uh, it's uh, rumored to be then they could be you know Alonso in a McLaren Renault next season could be quite fun. Yeah, I I'm I don't disagree with that. I just, you know, I my fear for uh McLaren is that 2018 will come around. Uh Mercedes will progress, Ferrari will progress, Renault will maybe not progress quite as far and Honda will finally figure it out and really come at it strong and oh, you, you, know, you don't think a McLaren Renault would be slower than an STR Honda do you well I'm not going to rule it out I here's here's what I'm telling you here's what I'm telling you if Fernando Alonso stays with McLaren the STR Honda will be faster than the McLaren Renault because uh Fernando Alonso epitomizes Murphy's law better than anyone and uh you know how much is that of that is his own fault? That's the debate. But uh, you know, I I think if McLaren ditches Honda, they should ditch Alonso as well, just so they don't have you know you know, or they should buy about a million rabbits' feet. I don't know. They should do something. Um, I'm amazed at your pessimism there. To be honest, I you know I really would love to see Alonso have a competitive car again before he retires. Um, I can't think of who McLaren would want in one of their cars other than Alonso. Um, you know, he wants to drive for them. None of the other teams will take him. So and the other drivers aren't available to McLaren, right? So who would you take that's currently available on the driver's market over Alonso? Okay, yes, you get all his baggage and his whining and you have to pay his enormous salary. But, um, you know, he's demonstrated even with the disastrous car he's been dealt, you know, two and a half seasons long now, that he can still extract some phenomenal performance out of it. Um, I think the Renault is now a pretty proven engine. It's it's not quite as reliable as the Mercedes and Ferrari. It's not quite as powerful, but it's pretty close. I don't think Honda will be at that level next season. I would happily bet a very large sum of money on that one. I think Honda are a couple of seasons away from sorting their, their, themselves out. Um, so maybe, you know, maybe it's a good strategy by Red Bull that, uh, you know, in 19 or 20, they could have a very competitive Honda engine. 
and that'd be great. You know, uh, they'll be rewarded for their for their gamble. Exactly right. That's the brilliance that uh, Red Bull has. You know, a tryout team. They have a JV squad, and uh, they can do things like this. And you know, pretty much no one else can do it. So I think that's. Uh, but but that's, in contrast, can, can McLaren afford another disastrous season? I don't think so. Three seasons has been bad enough. It's time to move on. We all hoped uh, McLaren Honda would uh, uh, would emulate their glory days of the eighties, but they haven't. Um, let's 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 move on, shall we? Quickly and hope that uh, a Renault um, McLaren with Alonso can be competitive. And I don't think he'd be in a championship winning contention next season, but hopefully he's in a race winning contention next season, and that would be good enough. Yeah, well, listen, I, I certainly don't begrudge your hopes. I just, uh, yeah, I will re- I will retain my pessimism uh, for for the time being. But we'll see we'll see what announcements happen and when they happen. I we we were effectively told that before September's over, we'd figure this out. So you know, I'm effect I'm I'm expecting that by Malaysia, most likely we'll we'll hear some news about what's going on, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if. Fernando Alonso news came in concert with McLaren news. So, but here's the thing about Renault. Uh, you're talking about how they've been doing better and getting along better. You know, Nico Hulkenberg finished 13th and, uh, you know, uh, it, we, Kevin Magnuson was, you know, he was 11th. He was a little better, but this was not, well, this Palmer, was not Palmer's a, in the other Renault, right? And he was, he Oh, was I'm so of, sorry. Yeah. yeah I, I foot, foot of the table again. Yeah, Palmer, uh, Palmer, twenty nine laps DNF. Yeah, yeah. he, yeah. I don't know why I do. I I confuse Kevin Magnuson and Palmer. I've done it more than once. Uh, I guess I'm stuck in last year, but uh, um, this was not a strong result for Renault. And this again, this is the engine track. So to me, this kind of shows that this is not quite as good as as uh, some might think. And maybe maybe that's the Renault chassis more than the engine, but because, you know, the Red Bulls were competitive, but still that could also just be Adrian Newey being exceedingly clever. Yeah, I mean, certainly Monza requires a, a good uh, powertrain, right? But, but you know, you could argue that Ferrari and Renault were very competitive in Belgium, which is also a power track. So something was going on uh, I think at, at Monza, and uh, one of the theories I have with Ferrari is if you look at most weekends on the Fridays, generally they're not quite as quick as Mercedes. But by Saturday practice or FP3, they usually they've usually had enough time to digest all the data, dial in the chassis, and they get a lot closer, or if not, or, or quicker than the Mercedes, right? And then they carry that through the weekend. Now this weekend was a very strange weekend. There was uh, there was FP1 was, I think, mostly dry, but FP2 was almost entirely washed out. FP3 was washed out, right? And then, and then Quali was, was, uh, was wet. So a lot of teams ran the race um, without very, very much dry running at all. And I think that's what shuffled the order and, and caused some of the performance differential, not necessarily just the, the, the performance of the engines. Okay, well, that I mean, okay, that's a good point, and that's fair. Um, but you know, does that bode well for the team in the future that they take longer to dial in the car than the other teams? I mean, that seems like more of a staffing issue than you know a chassis design issue or a, 
or some processing in, in your tuning. Well, I think in the case of Renault, right, they, they've only just uh, sort of reformed the team. I mean, they're still a relatively new old team, aren't they? And, uh, you know, some of the some of the other teams that have had less uh, or more, more established periods, like Mercedes, like the Williams, that have, you know, reams and reams and forms of data um, and a lot of continuity in their staff and their, their management, they, they seem to perform better than the teams and Ferrari are an outlier here. But if you look at Renault's recent history, right, it's it's been different management, different I mean it's all endstone based and I've had I'm sure they have a lot of personnel that have been with the teams in their various guises. But um, but I think that instability doesn't help you in this type of race weekend where things don't go quite as nor you know, as planned. You don't get to run as many laps on the different tyres, but I mean, this is just me speculating. I don't know that's uh, that's a fact, but I think we can, we should be cautious about drawing too much into the relative engine performance over such a strange Monza weekend. If it had been dry all weekend, and Renault had been nowhere, I think I would uh, be inclined to agree with you. As you mentioned yourself, the Red Bull were quick; uh, they were quick in the wet, quick in the dry. They got the same engine, so uh, I I think I'm I I'm if I was making the decision at McLaren. I'd definitely go with the Renault engine. I'd go with the Mercedes engine first, but that's not that's not an option. So the Renault yeah, pretty is pretty sure that's not available. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's bad. I, I'll tell you a team that I want to keep my eye on for 2018. We talked about this a little bit the last podcast is Williams because they've had more of a yo-yo season than uh, than many and. I'm quite curious to see, you know, 2018 will be real Patty Lowe's real entry into the team. And I'm curious to see how well William is going to get on with Patty Lowe at the helm. And if he can start getting the Williams to creep up um, towards, you know, fourth, third in the championship uh, hunt, as opposed to, you know, swamping down into uh, the mid pack again. And could the Williams be a race-winning car potentially next year? Well, I was really pleased with the seventh and eighth positions they, they got at Monza. They opened up a little bit of breathing room in the battle for fifth in the Constructors' Championship. So, um, they, you know, the Haas and the, oh, bless you, the Haas, Renault and um, STR are now a little further away. Uh, than they were obviously uh, I think like as many as 20 points now to, to one of the couple of those teams so so that's great news um, I don't I'm not sure whether Williams will be in a race winning position next season but I certainly hope that they are back closer to competing for fourth place than than um, fifth sixth and seventh yeah and and you know I I I think it's been fantastic for Force India to do as well as they've done. And once again, they're, they've been very strong 17 at, despite the drivers that they have. At, um, but, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sucker. I'm, I'm a nostalgic kind of guy and I really want Williams to be a race winning team again. And uh, it's just, listen, their most recent win is still from Pastor Maldonado. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to see that change. I'd like to see it change and fairly soon. And, uh, you know, maybe, just maybe, uh, Fernando Alonso should uh, feel out a Mercedes engine. And uh, I'm pretty sure there's a Williams seat that they would uh, they would make available for him, you know, 
uh, Masa, I think, is due for his second retirement. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like Felipe, and he has been, you know, putting in the results this season. Um, so fair play to him. But um, but yeah, I think you know his days are probably the best days are behind him, aren't they? Um, well, yeah, they I were behind him last year. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't think Alonso is going to be going to Williams. There was some specu- speculation during the, the Belgian weekend, wasn't there? But um, I, the, the problem with Williams is even with Paddy Lowe, they still have a financing issue, don't they? I mean, they're probably the fifth best funded team on the grid um, behind Mercedes, Ferrari, Red Bull and, and McLaren. And ultimately... Um, uh, well, wow. Hold on. I'm going to interrupt. I'm sorry. Oh, but okay. but uh, Renault, I oh, think yeah. Renault at this point is probably better funded. There you go. Yeah, fair enough. I, I agree with you there. So, so yeah, they're, they're not even the fifth best funded team. So um, it's hard to imagine that they are going to be able to compete consistently until something changes in the rules that, uh, that further levels the playing field amongst the teams um, because they're just being out, out uh, engineered based on pure resources every season, right? I mean, you know, one of the big debates, and I think Lewis mentioned this uh, a week or so ago, was the focus between this year's car and next year's car, right? When do you start to switch your resources between next year's development or continuing to really eke all the performance out of the current car till the end of the season? Now, clearly, Ferrari and Mercedes, probably they're locked in a pretty tight battle. They're probably going to continue to develop a lot for this season to try and uh, win the drivers and constructors championships. Um, but they also have more than enough resources to be doing a pretty decent job of next year's car, I would have thought. Um, whereas the likes of Williams um, and the smaller teams, they really, they really are in a much more difficult position. Um, and they, they basically have to switch their, their resources over to next year's car earlier than, than some of the bigger teams. And then that, that you see a bit of a drop off towards the end of the season. Um, it's just staffing numbers, isn't it? It's basic. It's, you know, the CFD guys you've got, the wind tunnel time you've got, uh, you know, you can only divide it so far. You've got two cars to develop. You've got to pick and choose. And if you're, if you're not going to win the constructors, uh, you know, why not, why not switch your resources um, over to next year's car? Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with that completely. Uh, and uh, it's, it's it's a hard reality. It's a hard pill to swallow. I thought that uh, the Martini deal would help uh, bridge that gap, and but clearly, you know, let's just be real. Of course, Lance Stroll is improving, and he does have hope. But the reason why he's in that seat is that his father had a pretty fat purse that he could uh, drop in front of uh, the Williams team. So, you know, that is. That is uh, the hard reality of where the sport's at. But uh, but, but let's, why, why do we? So who would you replace Massa with for next year? Oh, oh God, Jensen Button, of course. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, oh, honestly, you're going to say Jacksonville there. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that uh, let's uh, let's bring Jack in too. Let's have that's the dream team uh, from the early knots. Uh, those two. I I mean, I would like. I would love to see Jensen Button absolutely pounce Jack Villeneuve again. And I do miss that completely ridiculous baggy suit that he used to wear. Uh, so, yeah, maybe for entertainment value alone, uh, I would pick those two. But, no, I'll tell you, the the driver that I think could do really well in a different team, uh, given 
like a little bit more status uh, is Carlos Sainz. I think he's shown uh, to have real speed. I think Carlos uh, fared quite well against Max Verstappen. And, you know, Verstappen, clearly he was given tons of attention because of his age combined with his performance. But the fact of the matter is that Carlos was pretty darn competitive with Verstappen. And I think if he was given an opportunity, I think he'd do quite well. Yeah, I agree. I, Carlos seems to be remarkably underrated because he was very, you know, it was, um, it was very competitive between him and Max. Um, Max obviously made a you know, great step up when he got into the Red Bull. Um, and Carlos has been left behind and he's still doing a good job. When the STR's um, competitive, you know, he's, he's usually up there scoring points. So um, it is surprising that none of the other teams have sort of come knocking on his door. Because, um, you know, you've got you to imagine that Red Bull aren't really going to switch drivers anytime soon. I wouldn't be giving up Daniel and Max um, for pretty much anyone else on the grid, really. I mean, they're not going to get Lewis. They're not going to get uh, Sebastian. And, well, nobody else is really worth swapping those two out for. So, Well, I think Daniel proved uh, Sebastian superior already anyway. But uh, that's, uh, you know, different yeah. different topic, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Sebastian is a four-time world champion, isn't he? So uh, just from, from pure reputation and, and uh, ability to deliver, that's the one thing he offers you that maybe your current, Red Bull's current driver lineup doesn't. Because they are still unproven. They've, they've won some races. They, they show enormous promise. The car hasn't quite been there. But um, but they, they haven't delivered a world, world championship. And, and that, that pressure sometimes does strange things to drivers, doesn't it? But you're right. I mean, Daniel, uh, you know, handily beat Vettel when, when they're in the same car um, and really damaged Vettel's reputation. But, um, but yeah, Sainz would be a good pick. I don't know how, how easy it would be to liberate him from his um, STR seat. Um, and you've got to imagine he wouldn't be licking his lips at an SDR Honda. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, there's uh, there is that little nugget of uh, facts that well, well, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, no, there was that you know earlier in the season there was that interesting back and forth where Carlos Sainz was starting to get a bit bold and he was saying, "Well, I've been at SDR for four years. I think it's time to move on. I, you know, other teams are going to look for me and this kind of stuff." And SCR kind of said, look, you're under contract and uh, don't get too big for your britches, son. And uh, he's since backed away. But, you know, I think there was – I think I think he's on uh, a lot of the big teams' radar. I think he's, you know, he's that guy that's on everyone's short list but maybe hasn't uh, had a breakout performance to really surpass, put him over the top for some other guys. But uh, I don't know. I think – I think he's one to keep an eye on, and uh, you know, I given given the right opportunities, I think he could do quite well. So, but uh, given given the performance we saw at Spa and Monza, back to back, incredibly strong uh, Mercedes performance. Now we know we're going to a place where they're going to struggle. Is Lewis Hamilton going to be in the championship lead after Singapore? Um, I, I'm going to say probably not. I think he'll it'll be a damage limitation exercise for him in Singapore, um, and um, 
so no, I suspect Vettel will take advantage of a superior Ferrari um, around those streets, and and will probably be able to make up a three point deficit. But but I think you know the important thing from Lewis's perspective would be to to try and keep it even. If they can leave Singapore and they're roughly on the same number of points, I think he'd be happy because. I don't think after Singapore there's too many. Uh, I don't know if the tracks really favour one team or another. You've got to imagine that the Mercedes is going to be pretty handy around uh, most of the remaining circuits. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got some pretty pretty fast tracks coming up. You've got Suzuka, which is a pretty good um, power track. You've got Mexico. Well, Malaysia, Malaysia first. Malaysia, which is Mercedes have been pretty damn good at. Um, yeah. Last and then Suzuka, and then and then the United States Grand Prix at Coda, which well, he's got an incredible record there. Yes, and then I don't Mexico that one. I don't I don't know what do you, Mexico. I would assume they'd be fine, but yeah, it's uh, got a massive straight in it. Mexico is um, yeah, and then it, Brazil and Abu Dhabi. So yeah, Brazil might favor Ferrari, and Hamilton's always been really quick around Abu Dhabi. Um, so yeah, I mean, to me, it could go one way or another, but to, it doesn't look like it certainly favours one team or another. It certainly looks like Mercedes should be able to be knocking on the door, and it, it, it'll be interesting because Seb's not, you know, a lot of his championships were won with quite a margin. Um, so I'm not sure how he's going to continue to perform uh, as we get into if, it, if it's really tight going into the last couple of races. Um, we shall see. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, that is exactly what we will do. We will see. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, I, for one, am I'm hopeful that Singapore, first and foremost, is an entertaining race, um, but that it does not bring out any kind of, um, uh, you know, toddler-level drama. That's what I am afraid of more than anything, is that we'll see more shenanigans that require wrist slapping and um you know some hope uh, you know some adults yelling at the children to behave but uh <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i thought it was quite amusing <laughs> well maybe maybe that just uh that just shows the different stages in the uh, parenting you and i are in <laughs> but uh anyway it it was uh, uh Great to talk to you as always, Chris, and uh, we will chat again sometime soon. So uh, you're going to the motherland, right? You're going back to glorious England. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. I yeah, I'm. Uh, that's that's why we kind of had to scramble to do this. Uh, I'm I'm off to England um, to have for some lovely hot couple tea. Days. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna beer. have. I'm going to have hot tea in the morning and then lukewarm water the rest of the day, and then I'll. <laughs> And then I'll finish it off with a beer. But uh, and then uh, I'll, I'll I'm going straight to Germany, and I'm actually going to finish at the uh, Frankfurt Motor Show. And if there's anything cool Formula One related that happens in Frankfurt, I'll be sure to tell you about it for sure. Excellent. Okay. Well, safe travels and uh, Lewis Hamilton on the top, where you like <laughs> him to be. <laughs> and from yes. the impartial Chris Rose, yeah, exactly right. I, mean, I you're just so you're just so gloriously unbiased in your love of Hamilton, and that's what I that's what I love about you, Chris. 
<laughs> well, what's not to like about Lewis other than the nose stud that he, uh, he developed over the course of I mean, I, well, I mean, in that vein, I think the earrings are a bit much too, but... Um, <laughs> The you know, I will so you did remind me you know uh, Lewis had a nice little quip on the podium uh, where he you know he was saying respect to the fans and stuff like that but oh, hey those Mercedes engines were definitely better than the Ferraris weren't they <laughs> he didn't get the warmest of receptions by the no. Tifosi did he but they are um, they are rather Ferrari crazed aren't they so um, yeah. I can't really blame them. They 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 uh, had to sit through a bit of a drubbing, and um, but yeah, I was I was a bit amazed by the sheer volume of animosity. But I'm sure it was in good jest. Yes, of course, because it could couldn't be anything other than that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, it was impressive scenes the the anarchy on the main straight with the fans and the giant Ferrari flags. Just, it, it just, just the keeps yeah. Monza on my bucket list of F1 races to go to. That's for sure. Although I will, you know, uh, you know, my good friend uh, who is also co-host on the show sometimes, you know, uh, he he shot, he was a shooter at uh, at Monza, and his camera was stolen, like right off his shoulder. Someone ripped it off, uh, like you know, switchblade knife, cut oh, the really? strap and ran, and that was it. And that was in that crowd in the um, in the uh, you know in the podium ceremony after the race. So mm. Monza is a uh, it's a place to to experience, but maybe maybe uh, be a little bit careful with your uh, you know with your more valuable belongings. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Yeah, and definitely you might want to wear Ferrari red. You might have to suck it up and uh, you know. Yeah, that might be tricky. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, be unless, well. We'll talk again soon. Unless Lewis is driving for them. All right, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers.